Welcome to Faith and Freedom Fighters. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center, and I'm joined by my fellow freedom fighter, co-founder and senior counsel, David Yurashami. And I want to welcome our listeners and viewers to season two of our podcast slash videocast. Our latest show, our I should say our last show of season one was at the end of October. Uh, November and December were just incredible, incredibly busy months uh, for us. And uh, as I mentioned on previous uh, uh, podcasts, our daytime job is litigation, and that takes priority, priority over these podcasts. However, we hope to be more consistent going forward, but we will always uh, prioritize in favor our, of our litigation because that is what we do uh, principally. Well, today is January 6th of 2022 also known as Remember Ashley Babbitt Day, uh, the only innocent person who was killed during the protest at the Capitol last January 6th. She was shot dead without warning by a Capitol police officer who had a history of recklessness. Of course, no charges were brought against the police officer who was black and Miss Babbitt was white. Uh, the left always likes to make a point to identify the race of the officer and the race of the victim in police shootings, so we thought we would do so. But this shooting was unimportant to the left because it cuts against the bogus narrative of the Black Lives Matter movement and the entire insurrection narrative. Indeed, if this was an insurrection, it was the most poorly executed one in the history of insurrections. Indeed, it was far less of an insurrection than the many months of violence, rioting, murder, and mayhem that followed the death of George Floyd. And so where is the Department of Justice probe into that, Merrick Garland? Crickets. You know, he would rather go after parents who speak out against progressive policies and curricular at school board meetings. I mean, the guy's terrible. He's rotten to the core like this entire administration. And uh, before welcoming my colleague to chime in on all this, I want to say, let's go, Brandon. I hope most of you know what it means by now. It uh, has gained traction and for good reason. The guy occupying the White House is an unmitigated disaster. Uh, I knew uh, I knew he would be, uh, but I, quite frankly, I didn't think it would be this bad in such a short uh, period of time. So, if it wasn't already evident, the the horror show that is the tyrannical left is on full view with this administration. So let's pray, and I and I really mean this. Pray really hard that uh, real and lasting change is, uh, is on the horizon because the, uh, uh, the life of this nation, uh, the continuation of this, this great uh, experiment created by our founding fathers um, is gonna require some, some divine intervention at this point, it really is. Um, so uh, speaking of divine intervention, David, I'd like to welcome you to our show and happy new year, uh, buddy. It's good, to, uh, it's good to see you again, to be back on the, uh, the podcast. As I noted before we came on live, um, I think it's like 17 degrees here in Michigan, and I guess where you are in uh, the LA area, it's a balmy 48 degrees. <laughs> not, not quite uh, Southern California weather, but certainly not the weather we're having here in Michigan. So, uh, welcome. Thank you, Rob. It's good to be back on. I, I will kind of do a collective confessional that, notwithstanding the fact that we've been very busy. Um, both of us could probably make a better effort to be consistent. And if one of us is out, the other kind of taking the lead and running the podcast so that we have consistency for our growing viewers. Um, you know, the whole January 6th thing 
um, is both odd in the extreme and, and very, very explicable. I mean, you can understand what's going on. You know, I did not see January 6th unfold on TV like many people did. Um, I don't know. I can't remember where I was on January 6th. Now, it's interesting that on 9-11, I can tell you exactly where I was and who, with whom I was speaking, um, exactly what room I was in, the clothes I was wearing. It's etched in my memory. And at 65, my memory is not what it used to be. Um, I can tell you as a young boy where I was when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I don't quite have the clarity that I have with 9-11. Um, and I can tell you everything there is to know about my mother's experience on December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day, because she would just drill that into us and what it meant to be attacked on U.S. soil. If you look at 9-11, if you look at, excuse me, January 6th, as you point out, if that's an insurrection, it's, it's not only the most failed insurrection, it's the most laughable one. And no one with a honest bone in their body is going to say that that rabble-rousing group of individuals and some minority of them violently and, and most of them just trespassing, the ones who were actually have been charged with anything. The vast majority of people, of course, never crossed the threshold, did nothing illegal. Um, but of those that did, trespass and what have you, there was no weaponry, there was no coherent plan about what was going to happen. And all you have to do is look at the actual evidence that's being brought forward by the government in its various cases the vast majority of the 150 guilty pleas are for trespass and obstructing Congress. Obstructing Congress was nothing more than you trespassed and they had to shut Congress down. Um, and as Rob pointed out, the only individual killed um, and indeed likely murdered I'm not saying first degree or second degree, but it could very well have been manslaughter, um, was Ashley Babbitt, a veteran. So those who want to use January 6th as the essence of the threat against democracy and democratic institutions are obviously doing it for some reason other than the empirical evidence before them, because you can't make that argument, but they are. And it's a tidal wave of arguments. Every day in the media, every day in the political sphere with the January 6th committee, the subpoenas, the constant news conferences, this is all meant to achieve certain goals other than the stated goals, which are silly. Because if you want to know what happened, if you want to know why it happened, all you have to do is look at the evidence and the so-called evidence of a conspiracy. And if you want to blame politically Trump, no one, no one could make a rational argument that 
any of the political actors, Trump on down, were guilty of incitement. No one could make that argument. Even though they talk about it, they talk about incitement, they talk about obstruction of justice. I mean, they're talking about all kinds of silly things, but there's not a chance in the world that that could ever give light to any kind of criminal proceeding other than an impeachment. And of course, we've seen the Democrats run an impeachment when the President Trump was out of office. So, you know, who knows what they're going to do because they're frightened about the next election. Can I just add one thing? You know, you say criminal proceedings. I, I think uh, they, they can't lend themselves to a legitimate criminal proceeding because as we've all probably heard, if you watch the news, some of these uh, people have been arrested are in solitary confinement. They've been in solitary confinement for months and months without a trial. Um, the, the government is denying uh, what would be in, in every other circumstance, material evidence to be turned over to, to, uh, you know, to the defense counsel. I mean, this is, this is what is going on behind the scenes to these people who have been charged with, and, and granted, there were crimes committed and neither you or I would never you know, uh, you know, disagree with that point that there were crimes. People trespassed, people obstructed uh, Congress, um, some, some gauged in, in, uh, in, in violent activity, but nobody was, nobody was killed other than Ashley, uh, Ashley Babbitt. It wasn't an insurrection. It was a protest. We had rabble rousers who went, who went uh, above and beyond what is protected by the First Amendment, and they're being prosecuted. But they're not being prosecuted even-handedly compared to so many other, um, we, we, we witnessed, we all witnessed, we saw on our television screens and everything, this whole Black Lives Matter movement, Antifa, um, where people are just destroying property, shooting, killing police officers, the murder mayhem, but yet you don't see this dragnet being uh, instigated by the, uh, by the Department of Justice and the Attorney General to go after every last person who was, uh, who was present at any of these Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, it's just, there, this is an, the, the criminal proceedings going on in this case from, from what I've witnessed and what I've seen is just, um, it shouldn't happen in this country. Right, you know, and, and there's a whole cottage industry of uh, so-called internet sleuths. That's what the media calls them who are going through social media and tracking down and identifying names from faces and, and connections and then reporting to the FBI. And I know you received, I've received no less than a dozen or more phone calls from friends, associates, colleagues, and people I don't know, but who've heard of me saying, um, the FBI um, called me and wants to talk to me or knocked on the door to my house and wants to talk to me about January 6th. And my response is typically twofold. Well, one, were you there? Yeah, and I don't ask them after that. I just simply say, then do yourself a huge favor and do not speak to the FBI. Don't talk to them. And unless they arrest you, you have no obligation to talk to them. Because if you talk to them, and I would not have said this four years, five, four and a half years ago before what we saw during um, the Trump years, I probably should have been smart to, to have given this advice during the Obama years and Eric Holden at the head of the Department of Justice as the U.S. Attorney General um, and as influencing the FBI. <clears throat> but we've seen the FBI put aside, especially under Comey's leadership, 
Um, I tell people you don't speak to the FBI. And the reason being is that, as we've said before in this podcast, um, what you say is not going to be recorded unless you're recording it. And you have to be careful when you're recording your conversation and what jurisdiction, because not all jurisdictions are one party consent, meaning because I'm recording, I'm consenting um, with a conversation. There are many, many states in which you have to have all parties to the conversation consent. And the only thing being done is the FBI may be taking contemporaneous notes, maybe not, and then later taking notes and putting it into what's the name of the form, Rob? The 502s, I forget what the, the number is. Yeah. It's something and, like that, 502 And then that or... becomes the basis for a charge later on of lying to a federal officer. And that's a heavy penalty. And so in, and I don't put it past any FBI agent, whether he's on the street level or above, to have political bias and to be working this agenda. I don't know which ones, but there are enough, certainly above the, the gumshoe types, the FBI agents who are working the streets. Um, the FBI, like the military, has become extremely politicized. They're literally trying to excise individuals who come from conservative, Christian, religious backgrounds, um, and inculcate a strict ideology <clears throat> across the military and across the, the FBI. And it's true of local police forces as well. We've seen it representing individual police officers who have been fired or disciplined. So you have to ask yourself, what's going on? Why are they doing this if it's so obviously ludicrous? <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's two things going on. One, the left and the progressive movement are deathly afraid of the Trump influence extending on. And not because they're worried about some insurrection, which never happened. It wasn't about to happen. It won't happen in the future under the circumstances we, that they suggest. But they're frightened of the fact that there are still a large swath of Americans who understand that the political left is very much embedded in all the levers of power in our society, and most notably in what we call the shadow government, the bureaucracy, the administrative state. There's many different names for it. The military complex in the Eisenhower days, but it's no longer a, just a military complex. We now see it as a pharmaceutical complex. And we'll talk about that um, shortly. So the, it's a general fear that they're trying to take everyone like Rob and like myself and many others who say, you know, as narcissistic and, and every other criticism you wanna make of the man Trump as president, um, he was a powerful voice for those of us who resist this movement to the destruction of, of the West. And he was taken down and he was taken down at the beginning of the Obama administration, that movement that culminated in the election period for 2016 and then during his presidency. He didn't do himself any favors, but 
I don't know that anyone could have done any differently or better than he did under the circumstances. But having said that, there's another thing that they want to accomplish. And they want to accomplish the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. That's singular in their minds. And the reason they want more than, you know, build back better and spend $50 trillion on whatever they want to spend it on. Because if they can pass the Voting Rights Act, which is sitting in both houses right now, and the only reason it's not going further is because of the Senate filibuster, which they're trying to end now. But if they pass the Voting Rights Act, they will control the electoral system across the United States. The federal government will be able to control the states and whoever controls the federal government um, controls the country in a tyrannical fashion. I wanna just make two points, Rob. And it, the, mm -hmm. uh, it, uh, one is an embedded in kind of modern culture, which I'm not really attuned to, but um, was sent a, a, a clip yesterday. And the other is the, the um, just there was an op-ed about a Brooklyn College professor who wrote an um, who wrote an op-ed? I forgot the newspaper. It was Washington Post or a, a once respectable newspaper. And the op-ed was essentially that it's not just the Republicans who are holding up democracy and the rule of the majority. And their complaint is because the Senate is not a purely representative body right? There's two senators for every state, no matter what the population is, unlike the House of Representatives. And so they claim it's not representative because small senators, or senators, not small, but in stature, but senators who represent um, less populated states have equal power, like Manchin. And so they claim that men like Senator Manchin can hold up everything. Well, of course, that's not true, because He's just one voice that adds to the Republicans who are holding up the Biden administration's um, programs, legislative programs. But the argument she was making is that the U.S. Constitution is the biggest threat beyond Republicans to democracy. Now, this was published, a college professor published in a, you know, mainstream media newspaper of some repute. And the argument is clear that the U.S. Constitution, having constructed a republic, not a democracy, we're not a plebiscite. Mm -hmm. We don't have a Athenian um, arena where all the, the, the plebs, all the individuals come together, even in Greek society, it wasn't everybody, of course. Um, but um, the idea was that each man, free man, uh, and indeed each aristocratic free man was able to vote. The idea of one man, one vote, one person, one vote now um, was not the structure of the federal republic. Pure democracies where everyone votes and has an equal power to elect all levels of government. And even that's not a pure democracy, right? A pure democracy is where the people get together and vote on everything, essentially. 
and every law, course, every right. And by the way, and, so since, and since I was a child watching mainstream newspaper long or news reports and reading papers before there was anything as the internet and social media, the media has always tried to turn our country into a plebiscite. And that's why in every major political news story, they always go to the man in the street and collect a bunch of voices to see, you know, which ones they're going to make louder, right? So they say, and, and the man in the street, so-and-so says, and they interview him or they put it in the newspaper print toward the middle to the end of the story to buttress their particular political view. That war or, or morphed, I should say, into a later media game, which was citing surveys, like the game show surveys say, mm -hmm. this political position is wrong, this political position is right because of majority. Now what do they do? Now they literally go to Twitter and they see what hashtag is trending or Instagram or Facebook. And they literally print, if you look at every news story, in fact, even non-news stories, at the, in the article, it's all about what Twitter commentators say. And presumably they're picking the sides that are being critical or being positive, of course, based upon their own ideological viewpoint, but presumably because those are trending more than other voices. But you don't know that. And even if they were, if 50, out of 60 people have a, an opinion about something and it's not based on anything more than belief, who cares what they think, right? My son just sent me an email um, or a, you know, a text and he asked me, oh, um, Kyle Ritterhouse, the headline was, judge upholds Kyle Ritterhouse lawsuit of $110 million against somebody, uh, LeBron James. Now, I don't know what, I didn't read the story. <laughs> I'm not going to. And he asked me, would you take the case? And my response back to him was, first of all, why would you ask that? How could I possibly know? I don't have the evidence. And even if I read this silly little story about LeBron James and Kyle Rittenhouse, is the news going to give me the evidence? So I could voice an opinion I could tell the report, I get emails and I know you do Rob all the time where reporters ask me, would you please come on or give me a quote, come on our news program. I just got one this week or, or give me a quote about uh, the Supreme Court's new term or about this criminal case. Why? Because I'm a lawyer and I have some political profile or Google profile. And my answer typically is unless I have some knowledge of the, the matter, no, because all you want is a talking mouthpiece to, to edit and to say what you want, either for or against. But I'm not going to do that because it's simply my belief, and my belief is meaningless if it's an opinion based upon fact and logic and expertise, an opinion makes sense. But just to ask people their belief, and that's the media's trend, to turn American to democracy and just to bring it full circle and to end this bit of a, a riff, 
those two elements are what's at stake with the January 6th. Even Fox News, I woke up this morning and I just glanced at the headlines, is all about January 6th. And it's stupid. January 6th is essentially a non-event. Essentially a non-event, other than for Ashley Babbitt's family and anyone else who was physically injured, police officers and the like. But I will tell you this, um, all these stories about police officers who, you know, were... Um, involved in the in the fracas and the violence even, and some who were injured, moaning and whining like a bunch of just silly children. You don't get that kind of coverage for the police officers who were hurt, as Rob pointed out, with the George Floyd protest. You don't get that kind of coverage even when police officers are shot and assassinated sitting in their police cars or walking around the corner. You get a momentary headline and then a pick, you know, a mugshot of somebody who gets arrested and then that's it. The ultimate goal of January 6th is to destroy the political movement that Trump began, number one, and the number two, to get the Voting Rights Act passed because any opposition to it would be radioactive. You're a January 6th, you, you know, what do they call them? Uh, you're a, uh, what's the term now that they use? The, uh, um, it's not a truther, that was for 9-11, but there's a specific term for anyone who believes that Donald Trump election was, that his loss was stolen. And I forgot the term, but, but that's being used to, to create a radioactivity to anyone who would say that January 6th was a non-event. Well, that, that's uh, one of the primary tactics of the left is ad hominem attacks. They like to paint with a broad brush. They like to name call, identify people. It's all part of the identity politics, right? Because when you, when you can label somebody and identify somebody, then you can create categories. And when you can create categories and groups, then you can separate and you can divide people based on categories and groups or subcategories and groups. You know, they don't refer to people as just, you know, Americans. We're all, we're all Americans. No, you've, they have to divide uh, everybody into little categories, part of the identity politics, because it's all about division. Uh, a, a couple of comments, you know, and I've stated it time again, we both have, you know, the, the primary role of our constitution, because you mentioned about, look, we have a republic and not a democracy, but we have a constitutional republic, which is even even more precise, because the role of our constitution is two things, is to protect liberty and to prevent tyranny, right? And you can have a tyranny of the majority when it's just a pure democratic process. Our founding fathers understood that. Our founding fathers understood the danger of having a, a federal government, a national government with too much power. That's why our federal government under the constitution is supposed to be a government of limited and enumerated powers. And you think about it right now, what a joke. Right, because our federal government is is so powerful, way more powerful than every state government, and yet it shouldn't be that way. It should just be the reverse. Because the more you can diffuse power, whether it be between states and federal government, federalism, or between individuals and the government, where we have the, the Bill of Rights that is a break on the power of government, all those things are ways of diffusing power. Where you have, as you mentioned, we have a Senate. The Senate is supposed to represent the interests of the states. That's why each state only gets two. Whereas the population is represented by the House of Representatives, and it's based on the number of, of individuals you have. But you note as well that the House of Representatives 
is a much shorter term uh, of, of office. Um, and part, again, all part of the diffusion of power. And here you have in this Voting Rights Act where they want to federalize these, these national elections. And one of the main pushes for this, uh, for this legislation is to increase the use of absentee slash mail-in ballots. And we know, we, we know from, you know, for, for decades we've known, and there was even a, uh, a commission on elections, a bipartisan commission on elections that was created decades ago, where the conclusion was very clear. The biggest uh, cases of fraud in elections occurs where there's absentee ballots or mail-in mail ballots. Why? Because it's much easier to commit fraud and it's far more difficult um, to detect it and prevent it. And yet that's precisely what they're going for in this Voters' Rights Act. And they're the ones that are saying that you know, people who oppose that are the ones who are a threat to democracy. I mean, they're trying to, this is going to undermine our entire electoral system in and, 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 and ways that is going to be uh, and irreparable except for changing, the, you know, changing the, the, the leadership through the election process so we can get rid of this legislation. So we got to hold the line. And they have this, you know, this January 6th is their mantra for, uh, for, getting, this, um, for getting this legislation passed. And, it, and it, it has to fail. It just absolutely has to fail. Or, you know, there's, I'm not sure there is a, a you know, a turning back from, uh, from that point when they can, uh, they can take all these elections. And we know, I mean, COVID gave them the cover, as it were, for the, uh, you know, the previous uh, presidential election, having all these absentee ballots and mail-in ballots and so forth. And we know that there was, that uh, fraud was prevalent. In Michigan, just as an example, right, they always call it the big lie. But in Michigan, you know, we filed a, a petition for a, a writ of extraordinary relief in the Michigan Supreme Court, and we lost four to three. But we submitted 40-plus affidavits of recipient witnesses uh, who identified election malfeasance that was going on here in the, in the state of Michigan. You had the, uh, the, the Secretary of State, who's the one that issues rules and regulations for the conduct of elections in the state, who gave guidance back in the October prior to the election that the signatures on absentee ballots are presumed valid and they didn't have to go through the verification process that normally would. Well, there was a lawsuit filed right away challenging that. Well, that guidance went into effect for the election and it wasn't until the following spring that a court said, oh yeah, that guidance was illegal and unlawful. Well, how many absentee ballots without verified signatures went through? I mean, when you think, I think Trump only lost by about 150 something thousand uh, votes in the state of Michigan, and yet Michigan had well over, I think, 3 million absentee ballots su submitted, which was far greater than any other number of, uh, of any other election that we've had. So it, even if a fraction of those three, some three plus million uh, were not verified signatures based on, the, on the, the Secretary of State's guidance, that's a problem. And yet that is the process that they want to put in place as a matter of federal law. And it's, it's, and again, they're using this uh, January 6 incident as their um, as the grist for the mill, as it were, to uh, to try to get this thing uh, promoted and continue to promote this this false narrative that this was somehow an insurrection um, that uh, that you know that that threatened the existence of democracy. It's just it's just nonsense. Right. And, and by the way, you came, that on today, yeah. January 6. And you came up with the term I was searching for. You know, we call the 911 truthers. Um, but the term of art now for anyone who believes that the election was stolen uh, as a 
someone who has bought into the big lie, right? The big lie is now the term. The, the fascinating thing about the big lie, in addition to the evidence that Rob just spoke about in terms of the actual counting of votes and the legitimacy of voters. And of course, what do we see in news reports? Uh, after a thorough investigation by the Secretary of State of so-and-so, uh, no large-scale electoral fraud took place. Well, what they don't bother to tell you is what that investigation actually entailed, right? Nothing. <laughs> right, because Nothing. Un unless something gets reported yeah. um, or there's an you know obvious two names two of the same individual, the same address, having voted, you're not going to know how many of the write-in votes were fraudulent. But there's two things to, to point out here. Number one is that my position is while the actual counting and the whole mail-in drop-off process is just wrought with fraud, it's permeated with fraud. There's no way in the world with what's at stake for presidential and congressional, but especially presidential elections, that you're not going to have fraud. And I would venture to say by any side, because anyone who has strong political beliefs is subject to, not that they're going to succumb to it, but is subject to the means justify the ends. Mm -hmm. And it's human nature. It's what Rob and I do as lawyers when we look at um, white collar crime, which certainly I've dealt with all my professional career in courts at the civil level. And every time you have um, serious fraud taking place, it almost all by, by otherwise respectable men and women in positions of power for many, many decades, it can it it comes down to human foibles. Either they had a, you know, a, a appetite for something uh, that they shouldn't have had, or they want to achieve a good end, and they buy into the means justify the ends. For me, election fraud began under the Obama administration, even before that. But the serious election fraud, the, the conspiratorial type of election fraud is when the um, president and his senior people, including Comey and, and, and Rice and, and that inner circle holder, got together with Brennan and who was the other character? In Clapper. 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 Got together with the, the intelligence services, the FBI, Comey, and the political folks, and they decided that they were going to corrupt the election. And the way to do that was to utilize the Clinton campaign's idea of labeling Trump a Russian agent. When they, I don't believe for a second, based upon the evidence, I could be ultimately believe it, but based upon the evidence that the Obama administration came up with the whole dossier and, and, and narrative. The Clinton administration did, and then quickly Clinton campaign right? campaign campaign, yeah. but quickly because of the connections between the the two groups, it became an administration agenda, 
and mostly to just get out of the way and allow the narrative to proceed. Then the media complex picked it up and academia and the left writ large with all of its levers of power in our culture and, and political machinery, the, 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 the bureaucratic machinery, the administrative state. Once that movement began at the end of the Obama administration, Trump was destined to fail, period. And he was destined to lose the election. There's no way in the world anyone would have survived. The fact that he survived and accomplished everything he did is for me a God-given miracle. The other thing to note, and this just comes back to the big lie, over and over and over again in the media right now in the past week, there have been surveys to justify the argument that the January 6th event was an insurrection and it's an ongoing existential threat to this democracy. And of course, justifying the Voting Rights Act and, and everyone who is embraced the big lie. The surveys show that a majority of Americans, or at least a large minority, depending upon the survey, believe that the election was rigged. In other words, they're, they've drunk the Kool-Aid of the big lie. These are stupid Trump people or otherwise pliable, um, naive individuals who, who go with false narratives. Well, if you actually look at the surveys, more people believed that Biden, that the um, Trump, when he defeated Clinton, was a rigged election in Trump's favor. More people believe the so-called big lie to this day, but certainly back then when they did the surveys, more Americans responded to survey questions. Was Trump elected legitimately? The answer was no. Uh, the Russians helped him. And of course, you still see that narrative today, and it's held by many on the left. Yet when they espouse the so-called big lie, there's nothing to be heard about it. When someone claims that Trump, the election that Trump lost to President Biden was rigged either in the actual counting of voting, which I don't have to adhere to because my position is that election was rigged by Obama and the Clinton campaign people back in 2016. The 2020 election was rigged back in 2016. Yeah, it's funny, right? They, the left, you, you, can't, you can't say, you can't question the validity of the 2020 election uh, because it's un-American to question the validity of an election, yet they, uh, they go on and on about the validity of the 2016 election, right? They always accuse us of exactly what they are. And I just want, uh, one, last, uh, one last point, because I want to move on to one other topic. We have about maybe 20 minutes or less to... Um, to get through on, on COVID, but, you know, just to point out, you know, when we, when we filed our petition for an extraordinary writ in the Michigan Supreme court and the election, the relief we were seeking was not an overturning of the election, right? The only thing we were seeking was an independent forensic audit of the election results because of all the evidence of malfeasance that took place. And that was opposed so stridently and strongly by everybody on the left, the DNC, the you know the the Secretary of State, the everybody 
who is who had everything to gain from this election opposed the request for an independent forensic audit they didn't want to know what the true results were and one of the things and i i'm i'm not an election lawyer and i got involved in this election uh litigation that was asked to, to help out and i felt it was kind of my duty to do so from what i was was uh was observing but you know when when things get a, when things go through the board of canvassers and they and they get um you know they they, they get validated as a worth of this all it is is a, a is a you know a small group of bureaucrats who just rubber stamp what was put before them it's not like they have you know a team of auditors or investigators who go through and then investigate these uh these results before the uh you know before the the election results are uh, confirmed by these board of candidates that doesn't happen it's i mean it's literally a rubber stamp i was shocked i thought they were actually when you say board of canvassers you think they actually canvass the results in a in a meaningful way uh in a substantive way but they don't it's just you know the the election's verified and that's it and they uh and you move on so you know they didn't they didn't even want a uh, an a an audit of these of these election results and it was so evident by how they opposed it in the uh, in in the litigation certainly litigation that we were involved in so i want to uh, you know, let me let me let me jump in with one final thing yes, you know lawyers we, we're always good at this we always want to have the last word yeah <laughs> let me have a uh, sure rebuttal yes when did when did challenging elections actually begin in the Supreme Court case, uh, well, the cases that ultimately went to the Supreme Court, Bush v. Gore. Yeah. And what was that about? It was about challenging the count of the Florida Secretary of State. So when the Democrats on the Gore side wanted to challenge that count, they had no problem. And for how many years after that, certainly during the, four, the first four years of Bush administration, the second four, he won pretty handily. But the first four, every left-leaning media pundit and academic, which is the majority in this country, came out and said that the election was rigged and stolen. And it was stolen by nine Supreme, five Supreme Court justices, right? Yeah. Heard that yeah. for years. Yeah. And yeah. The left yeah. wants to forget that. The big lie of, <laughs> of Bush v. Gore, the big yeah. lie yeah. of Trump, you know, of, you know, the Trump-Clinton election, um, gets forgotten very quickly. And the only thing that's going to be an insurrection is an existential threat is the, the Trump big lie. Yeah. Yeah. Revisionist history. That's what progressives have to do. That's what communists do. That's what, you know, that's what tyrants do. And that's what they are. Progressives are just tyrants. Just uh, right. make no mistake. So I, I want to talk a little bit about COVID-19, although we, we're not, we don't have a whole lot more time, about 15 more minutes to cover this. Um, and, uh, you know, really, I, we're seeing the insanity of tyranny, as I like to describe it, unfold right before our eyes. Let me just, you sent me this story, and I just got to, we can start off with this, a Whoopi Goldberg uh, story of all things, right? The, uh, it's a, it was in Fox News, the title of it is Whoopi Goldberg stunned by testing positive for COVID, quote, I've done everything I was supposed to do, end quote. And this is, to me, this is the, uh, the money quote of this story. And this is from Whoopi Goldberg herself, quote, it's one of those things where you think, I've done everything I was supposed to do. Yeah, it doesn't stop Omicron. And that's just the problem with the variant because it gets stronger and does different stuff to you. So, you know, unless everybody gets vaccinated, this is what we're going to be facing for the next, you know, little while. End quote. I mean, think about the incoherence of that. Right? <laughs> She's fully vaccinated. 
She wears the mask, does the social distance. She bought into the whole, you know, tyranny. What's that? The whole nine yards. The whole nine yards. Booster. I mean, you name it. She's fully vaccinated and she gets COVID. Huh. So, so her excuse for why she got COVID is apparently because nobody else is fully vaccinated. Well, wait, did the vaccine work for you or did it not work for you? I mean, it's just, this stuff is so illogical. And I, and I, I just want to make this one, uh, one note. And uh, if, if people haven't listened to this uh, podcast by Joe Rogan, where he interviews Dr. Peter McCullough, um, that to me has is, is been is one of the best discussions of this whole vaccine issue and treatment issues and anything that I've, that I've heard. And, and Dr. McCullough agreed to be uh, our expert in the vaccine cases that, uh, that we're working on, but go do a search for it and, uh, and listen to it. But it's, it, this insanity, what's going on, right? They, and the fact that they just totally disregard natural immunity is still, to me, stunning. You came up with these vaccines. Remember we heard, uh, how long did we hear all these vaccines, all the commercials? 90% effective, 90% <clears throat> effective. Well, they stopped talking about that. I can tell you, almost everybody I know right now who I know has, has, uh, has COVID were vaccinated. The people who don't have COVID are the ones who've had it and have natural immunity. Right? And we know the way these, these mRNA vaccines work is they focus on a particular spike protein, whereas your natural immunities are far broader. It can cover a far broader spectrum uh, against these diseases. So the fact that you've got your vaccine for the, you know, for the original variant, uh, the, uh, the wild variant or whatever they've been calling it, the fact that it's not working for Omicron, that's no big surprise. The fact that it might not work for Delta is no big surprise. I mean, it's just crazy how this things, you know, like, for example, we, the CDC now is telling us that five days instead of 10 is the appropriate time to quarantine, whereas at one point it was 14 days. Based on what? Right? This, this idea that this somehow science is telling us it's five days as opposed to 10 as opposed to 14 is nonsense. We are told now something that most of us knew from the very beginning, cloth and surgical masks are useless. There's now a push for the end, everybody wearing an N95. I mean, if you think you couldn't breathe well with a surgical mask, try wearing an N95 mask all day long or put it on your you know, kindergarten student for an entire day and see what happens. You know, talk about child abuse and trauma, right? And, and how many boosters now are needed? And you know, again, what happened to the bold claim that these vaccines are, are 90% effective? They're not. So, you know, and as I mentioned, uh, go listen to the, uh, the Dr. McCullough um, interview on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast. It's it's very enlightening. You know, neither David or I are you know epidemiologists or virologists, right? But you know, I can I can read the studies, the reports. Quite frankly, most of these bureaucrats who are running these public health uh, agencies or in charge of public uh, public health, certainly at the local level, aren't immunologists, immunologists or virologists either. Governors certainly aren't when they're issuing all these all these particular, uh, you know, mandates that are imposing all sorts of restrictions on people. But it's, um, it's insane. And I, I get a sense, and I forget who, who had made this, uh, this comment, uh, one of the national broadcasters, um, a conservative, that um, people, are, people are now starting to get fed up with all this. Even when I've gone to many places now where they say, you know, masks required, and I look around and probably 90% of the people in there are not wearing masks. They're like, I'm fed up with this stuff. I'm not doing it. I'm done with it. Um, and, uh, so, but, you know, COVID is going to be around now. It's going to be around, uh, and, uh, we'll hopefully, um, hopefully this, uh, uh there's going to be a hearing. I, I think it's, it might even be tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, the Supreme court on these, uh, vaccine mandates, these things got to go. Uh, so, but we'll see, uh, we'll see how this all un- unfolds. So David, your, uh, your, your thoughts. Well, you know, as it's, 
there's actually a connection between this whole COVID thing. By the way, uh, excuse me, the whole COVID thing and the discussion we had about a constitutional public versus democracy. And I'll, I hope to lead into that momentarily. But there's another podcast that I thought was actually even better than Dr. Um, McCullough. McCullough. And that was the one with Dr. Malone, who had a hand in actually developing the whole mRNA process and who's been vaccinated. Dr. McCullough, just because Dr. McCullough, is, he's somebody in his practice has worked very uh, strenuously to deal with treatments, right? right? So, so you don't get into the category of, you know, where you right. have to go be hospitalized. And so his, his focus and this other doctor's focus are uh, slightly different, but right. uh, both, both uh, and I agree, I think both are well worth, uh, you know, well worth listening to. Right. And, and they, I think they both speak well of one another and they're both serious men. Yeah. Uh, I might take exception to some things that were said here and there, but, but generally speaking, these are rational men um, attempting to apply their very highly qualified and reputable expertise to the facts, and then to draw some conclusions, certainly some tentative ones. Um, Dr. Malone's focus was on the, the whole movement toward vaccinations as opposed to treatment, right? Which was also McCullough's, but, but from the, the vaccine perspective, um, both of those, Joe Rogan's, I can't watch the whole thing. I don't have three hours, even on high speed, you know, when you increase the speed, but it's thoughtful. It's not conspiratorial. And both of those interviews are worth listening to when you have time. And I've gone through most of them. I skipped ahead in certain parts. But there's a couple things to, to take note of. If when people talk about science and what science drives, we've hammered on this podcast the notion that all science can do is measure things. And it can, and when it measures things, it's measuring what happened in the past. And it can predict through probabilities, not certainties about certain future events. But those are just probabilities and there's a lot of uncertainties built into those probabilities as well. But that's all they do is measure things. All scientists do is measure things. Now, when a scientist goes beyond measuring something and talking about the risk to public health, when a scientist starts talking about what we need to do about climate change, what we need to do about COVID-19, they're no longer talking as a scientist. They're now talking as a public policy professional or expert. And I consider myself a public policy professional and expert. My undergraduate degree is in public policy. And I've engaged in public policy research and analysis my entire life in court and outside of court. But it's not really an expertise in that what you're really doing when you're talking about policies to engage in is taking measurement science and looking at risk benefits of making changes to public policy, which can include government laws or agency decisions or any number of things, and weighing those and using your best judgment. But 
you can tell by just the expression and the weighing process that once you get to that point, ideological and political biases and personal biases will color that decision, if not entirely, greatly, and maybe even substantially. You can't avoid that. It's why when someone tells me that um, our judicial system, uh, at, especially at the federal level, is purely umpires calling strikes and balls, as Chief Just Justice Roberts said, well, that's only true in a contract case that has no political overtones at all or some similar kind of case or a criminal case. But if it is involved in any political or ideological issues, and even the purely contract case, the judge doesn't like the person's look. He doesn't like his attitude. The judge's ideological, personal, political biases will come into play. It's simply a fact of human nature. You can't eliminate that. There's no such thing as an objective reporter. You know, they, they have this big thing where reporters don't belong to political parties or make political contributions. And that's just a silly curtain that hides the wizard. I mean, it's silly. Of course, his, his or her political biases color the way they write a story. Right. And, and remember, every every federal judge is a political appointee. Right. right. And if and if politics didn't play into this thing, then we wouldn't have all these disputes over Supreme Court justices that we see play out on television and have even more so since, you know, since uh, Judge Bork way right. back, way back when. And that's when the process really started to become very uh, quite vicious in that respect. But it's very it's very political. Judges right. are political. Many of them are part of the same cabal as those who are in power, who are imposing these policies. Right. And, you know, that's that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. So let's, I want to take just a couple of examples. So you mentioned the mask. So what was the science when when um, as announced by Fauci, um, when the COVID outbreak first began, the science was masks don't help now. It wasn't the science because there's no real good studies, even though there's plenty of people who've studied the effectiveness of various kinds of masks before COVID-19 and certainly after. But those studies are very difficult. It's difficult to control. It's difficult to replicate. There's all sorts of variables. There's just, it's very poor science, to be quite frank, when you actually look at the studies, which I have done. So when he first came out and said masks are no good, what he was really saying was, and he's admitted it, is that we have a shortage of masks and we want to have those for just the first responders. We don't want people, in other words, he was taking a political calculation in his mind, if assuming masks work at some level, because he wanted first responders to have them, he didn't want the public to go out and rush the markets and deplete the supply chain for the first responders. So he came out and said, the science is you don't need a mask. He didn't say what he was really thinking. Look, mask, he believed that mask help. And he just didn't want the public to have the mask because the, there weren't enough for everybody. So that was his calculation. Then later on, when masks were mass being mass produced and people were coming up with all sorts of different kinds of ways to wear cloth and what have you, 
all of a sudden masks are absolutely essential. You can't go anywhere without a mask. I just went to a notary for a legal procedure, signatures, and um, the notary was all bent out of shape that my wife didn't have a mask. So I said, she left in the car. And she went down to get the mask out of the car. She said, how does your wife walk around in public without a mask? And I said, are you kidding me? First of all, many places still don't require it because they understand that masks are ineffective. And when she heard me say that, she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, the recent science is that cloth masks are no good. And because the virus, the size of the actual virus is so small that it penetrates masks. And there's so many holes and there's no way you can make it airtight. And we see now with Omicron, which is very infectious, that whatever we thought the masks were doing during the original COVID and Delta, it wasn't doing it. It's just that those versions of COVID-19 were not that infectious to begin with. I mean, they were bad enough to create a pandemic, but they weren't like Omicron, which apparently spreads like wildfire, but that's genetic. It's not because more of it's getting out of the mask all of a sudden, it's because it's more infectious. And it doesn't take a whole lot, obviously. So the science is now telling us that cloth masks are no good, right? Cloth masks were no good, cloth masks were good. According to science now, cloth masks are no good. And again, the reason why they're saying that is because they're realizing that Omicron is so infectious, people wearing masks are still getting sick. The point that Rob made about, um, uh, what's the comedian that I sent you that article on? What's her name? Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg and her comment. So she was vaccinated and she wore masks and she social distanced and she still got it and it shocked her. And her response was not that um, the unvaccinated people made her sick. If you look at her response, her response is, even after saying that the vaccines didn't protect her, her Conclusion is everyone, that was her language, everyone needs to be vaccinated. When everyone is vaccinated, then we'll be safe. You know, the stupidity of, of those kinds of statements, first of all, there's no disease in the world that everyone has been vaccinated against. And even if you take the argument that if you get 90% immunity, you can prevent this, well, that's false on its face. Right. Herd immunity based upon what we've seen, because if just five percent of the world's population is not vaccinated. And a new variant. And by the way, there is a new variant. They've already discovered a new variant coming out of uh, Canary Islands or something. And they say, well, we don't need to worry about it yet. Well, they said the same thing about Omicron. The fact is, and I don't believe we need to worry about Omicron because it doesn't cause a lot of actual sickness and hospitalizations and death. Certainly um, the numbers don't look worse than the regular flu. But the fact is, is that if just a handful of people develop a new variant, one person develops a new variant and the rest of the world is vaccinated, but that variant is like Omicron, it can spread like wildfire. And it might not be like Omicron, the next variant might be insidiously dangerous, might cause, God forbid, hospitalizations and death. We don't know that. So anyone who talks like this, 
that everyone needs to be vaccinated. That's not going to solve the problem. The, the, the other side of that coin is, as I told Rob, I was on a uh, conference call and it's a weekly call and every week they turn, it's not doctors and lawyers, it's just something else. But every week they turn to a GI specialist who works in a hospital and deals with a lot of people with the virus. And they ask for an update. And we've been hearing from her, you know, the numbers in the hospital, it's getting better, it's getting worse, it's getting better. But it's always all about, you've got a social distance, you got a mask, and when vaccines come out, you got to get your vaccines. And when the boosters were required, you got to get your booster, you got to get your booster on a booster and on and on and on. Well, this past Tuesday, all of a sudden, what is she saying? She says, in addition to you gotta get boosters, you gotta get your vaccine and booster. She, she then says, contradictorily, um, well, you know, Omicron is spreading very fast, but we're not seeing a lot of increase in hospitalization relative to the number of infections. Yes, hospitalization is increasing, but there's a lot of people sick and a lot of people are sick with what we now call the fluovid or, you know, COVID and the flu, which you can't really know if they're in the hospital because of the flu or COVID. And pure flu hospitalizations are going way up, which they do every year. The fact is, is that she was saying that, you know, there, there's a legitimate theory that um, if Omicron spreads enough, and everyone gets natural immunity from it, we'll have achieved herd immunity this way. And again, possibly, but this is a doctor speaking in the name of science, which is why they call upon her, but she's just babbling. Because what is the reality? The reality is, is everybody can have natural immunity, just like vaccines, and we know some vaccines are very effective against some diseases. We know that smallpox, measles. The fact is, is that everyone could have natural immunity and a new variant could come along and beat natural immunity. We have to guess on the new flu bug every year because every year it mutates. And we guess it which one, you know, the vaccines, you know, we have to combination we have to put together and sometimes they're not effective. Rob was telling me this year, it's now known that they guessed wrong, which is why people with the flu vaccine uh, are getting sick. So it's not necessarily the case that Omicron and widespread infection is going to, be. then she said to, to boost that argument, what Rob said, and it is true. Natural immunity has a broader spectrum than a vaccine at least these vaccines. And the answer to that is, that's correct. It's not like the old vaccines. And I think the only vaccine of that type is from China, which I wouldn't take, but it's where they actually use a dead or inactive or weakened virus and they inject that and your body has a purely natural response to it. This is the creation of the little spike protein, et cetera. And it could very well be true that and I believe it is, that natural immunity is better than this mRNA vaccine. Although they were telling us the opposite at first, if you recall. Now they're saying that if you get infected with Omicron, your natural immunity is going to be much broader spectrum and protect you better in the future. So the science changed. 
anyway, long-winded response to that, Rob, but the, the science is no longer even a subject of conversation with most people. It's this hysteria about a pandemic and the response. I, I wanted to mention a movie, but I'm not going to because I know we're running late. Um, but I'll just say, anyone who wants to hear a, a, a riff on this, the movie was called Unlocked. I didn't see it. Someone sent me a clip, but it's a spy thriller about some heroine, a woman protagonist, CIA agent. And uh, Mike Douglas is the other CIA agent above her and her mentor who essentially creates a, a, a rogue operation to create a world pandemic. And she says, why would you do such a thing? And his answer was, so that we'll understand how unprepared we are and we'll engage in the proper behaviors. And what are those behaviors, she asked. And he says, mass quarantine, um, government access to all your medical records, forced uh, exposure of anyone you've been in contact with. I mean, all the things that we're doing now, which is, you know, was this conspiratorial movie. Anyway, I thought it was fascinating. All right. Well, boy, there's so many lines there that we can continue on. We will on our next podcast, but with that is all the time that we, uh, that we do have today. And uh, we thank all of you for, for tuning in, listening in. Uh, we look forward to our next, uh, our next discussion. And as you know, our video casts are posted on our rumble and YouTube channels and our podcasts are posted on Spotify and Stitcher and probably where else you could, uh, you can find uh, our podcast. So thank you again for uh, listening in. And uh, may God bless you and may he continue to bless America.